Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen. And that song has become just one of my favorites. All, all those this morning are, are just so powerful, and He is worthy of all the worship that we can bring, of uh, the worship that we might declare with our lives as we live for the glory of his name. And uh, if you are uh, joining us today and you are a guest, I just want to say thank you so much for being here. We're so grateful uh, that you are worshiping with us. Uh, my name is Jason. And I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we uh, just would love to hear from you. You'll see some connect cards uh, just in the back of the seats uh, along the way. We'd love for you to uh, just allow us to know of your time with us, allow us to know how we could be uh, praying for you. Uh, we are currently uh, walking into really the early part of a sermon series called Spirit and Truth, and I'm just excited to open the Word of God today and to lean into the Word together. Uh, we are in uh, Galatians chapter 5 as we have been walking through uh, just the scriptures and this kind of overall big narrative of the story of Christ from Old Testament to Revelation, and we've been uh, just walking together this year in that way, and if you are just joining with us. We're in the epistles right now. It's a perfect time to jump in and connect as we continue uh, to walk that direction. Uh, Bill Bright was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, and he tells a story of uh, Yates Pool. Uh, in West Texas, there's a famous oil field that's known as Yates Pool. And during the Depression, this field uh, was a sheep ranch, and it was owned by a gentleman named Mr. Yates. And uh, what happened in those times, it was during the Depression, and so uh, he got to a place that the income from this land and the income uh, from his ranching was not uh, providing what he needed to be able to pay the bills that he had, to be able to pay the, the mortgage and the principal uh, that he owed uh, on uh, his ranch. And he was in this place where he had very little money for clothes. He had very little money to provide for his family. And, and like many others in that time, he was relying on government subsidy. He was relying on those kind of things. And day after day, as his sheep grazed and, and just were uh, in uh, the, those West Texas hills, right? I imagine that uh, he was greatly troubled about how he would pay for the things that his family needed, how he would be able to pay for his family's uh, bills that were coming in. And something interesting happened. Uh, a seismographic crew came in and approached him and told Mr. Yates that there might be oil on his land. And they asked him permission uh, to drill this wildcat well, and he signed a lease contract. In 1,115 feet, they struck a huge oil reserve, and the first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. Many subsequent wells were more than twice as large. In fact, 30 years after the discovery, a government test on the well showed that it still had a potential flow of 125,000 barrels of oil a day. And I want to remind you something. The whole time, Mr. Yates owned it all, right? When he bought that land, he had uh, uh, the oil and mineral rights. He was uh, struggling uh, in this place, and he was living on relief. He was living in poverty, and he was a multimillionaire living in poverty. And here's what happened. See, the problem was is he had all those resources, but he didn't know that they were there. He, he owned it, but he did not possess it. And, and I believe this is one of the greatest pictures of what I believe is happening in the lives of many, many Christians. And today I, I want to speak to you a message titled Rich and Living 
in poverty. So many Christians, we uh, have all of these resources, right? And we, so many Christians, we live in spiritual poverty, struggling in the Christian life, somehow trying to figure out how to live according to the scriptures, trying to, to, to figure out how to do those things and finding ourselves weary and tired and falling into sinful behavior, falling into all these messes. And like Mr. Yates was a multimillionaire living in poverty. I want you to understand something. As followers of Jesus Christ, the scripture would tell us that we have been given everything that we need. The scripture would tell us in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, uh, that, that his divine power, that, that God has given us in his divine power, everything for life and, and godliness, according to the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence, or in some of your translations, by his own glory and power. I want you to understand that we've been given everything that we need. The moment that you became a child of God, the moment that you uh, trusted in Jesus, repenting of your sin and surrendering your life to him, the moment you became a child of God through faith in Christ, you became an heir of God of all of his resources. The scripture would tell us in Ephesians 1 that we are blessed with every blessing in heavenly places. And I want you to understand it's present tense that this is who we are in Christ. We are blessed with everything we need, including wisdom, love, and power, everything that we need to live victory victorious Christian lives as followers of Jesus. Uh, we have everything that we need to live lives that bear fruit in the midst of this world. But here's the truth. We know that what I said is true. Many, many Christians are living in spiritual poverty. And there's been times in my life where I've been living in spiritual poverty with all the riches of Christ at my dispense. And why is it that we're doing that? Why is it that we are living in spiritual poverty? I think there's a couple of reasons. First, I think that what we see is that, that it's because we're living in our own power. It's because we're trying to muster up our own strength to live the Christian life. And the second thing is this. Many Christians are influenced more by the world than we are by the word. And it's a tragic place where we are supposed to be people who are living lives rich in Christ. But the way that our lives are looking certainly don't look like heirs of the king. And as we open up in Galatians 5 today, we may jump around a little bit as we go, but uh, we're going to walk through just some beautiful scriptures where we see God's plan for us to walk and live as followers of Jesus Christ, victorious, fruitful lives in the power of his Spirit. Now, this letter uh, to, the, to the churches at Galatia, it was written to a group of churches. You can see that in chapter 1, uh, verse 2. And in Paul's time, it's a Ro Roman province that would be located uh, really in a, a place like the central region of what now uh, is Turkey. And so uh, what we know about these people and what we know about this, this, uh, this letter, like Paul had taken the gospel after Paul had taken the gospel uh, to these churches at Galatia and he had shared the pure, true gospel. There were others that had come in and there were people that had come in behind Paul. They were called Judaizers and these people had come in and they began to teach that Jesus was not enough. Now they believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah and the first step for these Gentiles in following him was to be saved. But then on top of that, they were going to need to keep these laws and they were going to need
need to, uh, to be circumcised, and they were going to need to walk according uh, to these things in Judaism, right? And they were, they were uh, giving them this Jesus plus something else in order to be made right with God. And, and Paul comes in, and can I remind you this morning, and, and I just want to, I think this is such an important reminder, Jesus, can I say Jesus plus nothing? equals everything, right? That's what we see in this passage. There's, there's nothing that can be added. There's nothing that can be taken away. The, the gospel in its purity, right? We see Paul's going to defend that. And the first thing he does is we begin to walk in Galatians. He says, this is who I am in, in Christ. And he defends his apostleship, right? They had been uh, saying, hey, he, you don't need to listen to him. He's not the real deal. And so Paul defends that. We see that early. And, and he begins to come against these false teachers. And he begins to give us this truth that we're going to see in the book of Galatians. And it's this really core theme is that we are justified by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. And there's this purity of the gospel that Paul is fighting for. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, he says this, Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. Now, when we look at words like justified, we think of some terms, and there's some theological terms that sometimes uh, we use. And I, I like to—I'm not a big word guy. Like I'm a simple person, right? And so, when we look at those big words, we, we see words like justification, and we think about what does this mean? What does it mean to be uh, justified? What does it mean? And, and Paul's going to teach them, and he's going to give them this truth, right, that we are, are justified. And in this picture of being justified, this, this doctrine of justification, very simply, it is to declare holy. So when we hear that word and we say, what, what's justification? What's all that talking about? It is to declare holy. And so it's this act by which God declares those that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as holy. You, you can look at your neighbor right now, and if they're in Christ, just look at them, look at your spouse, just give them a little something to say, you are holy. And that was hard for some of y'all, right? And, and here's this thing. It's this declaration, and God declares us righteous in Christ. Sometimes it's referred to as the great exchange. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Christ lives a sinless life, lives the life that we should have lived, and then he dies the death that we deserved. He dies the death that we were condemned to die. And because of that, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God declares believers as righteous, right? Not because uh, he declares believers righteous in Jesus Christ, not because our behavior was righteous and that we earned anything, but because God credits us with Christ's righteousness and positionally, so here's, here's what I want you to see when that happens, positionally, we are made right before God and we are declared holy. We are declared righteous. And all of this is at God's expense. Now, there's something that we see in the scriptures that begins to take place as soon as we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. As we look through Acts 2, as Chris was looking at that a few weeks ago, we saw all this, right? There, there was a gospel that was presented. Peter preaches this sermon. The Bible says that the, that the people's hearts were pierced, that they were convicted, and, and that, the, that they were hearts were pierced. And they said, what do we do, brothers? What do we do? And Peter declares to them in Acts 2.38, he says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sin. And he said, there's something beautiful that's going to happen. Jesus had, had been telling them about it. We saw in Acts 1.8, uh, he says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. In Acts 2, we see the Holy Spirit poured out, on the, and the church is born. It's incredible. 
incredible moment. And, and, and here they are. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. And he said, something beautiful is going to happen. It's what Jesus promised. Jesus said, listen, it's better that I go away. John 14, he says, it's better that I go away. And, and as we look at these things, John 15, 16, so much truth that we see in these passages. He said, it's better that I go away because if I go, I'm going to send you a comforter. And so he says, when you repent of your sins and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so here we are in, in, in Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to look at this call. So we see justification, right? We're declared righteous, but we see that the Holy Spirit, one of the primary works of the Holy Spirit in our life is, you, is he is conforming us to the image of Christ, right? So we see not only justification, but we see another big word, sanctification. And so I want to give you just kind of a, a, an easy way of, of looking at that. Justification is to be declared holy, and sanctification is to make holy. So what's true of us positionally when we place our faith and trust, y'all hang on this morning, we're going to be in there. So, so when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are declared righteous, and, and we are positionally made right before God because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that's been given to us, uh, all the work of God, something that's happened on the outside. That, that's what's happening, right? This is a work on the outside that God does, declares us righteous. But then as the Spirit of God begins to work in our life, when we begin to walk in the Spirit, as we begin uh, to follow Christ, something is happening on the inside. And what's true of us positionally is being made true of us practically as the Spirit of God works in our life. And, and, and the truth is that he's going to see that work to completion, right? The Scripture says that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And so we're going to look at, at how that's looking. And in Galatians chapter 5, we see that as the Spirit works in us and as we work in this process, that we're going to see something beautiful is going to happen. We're going to see fruit that's going to display that. That's the evidence of the work of God in our life. Now, so Paul said, hey, nobody's justified by the law because the law says, here's what the law says. The law says you have to, and what we do is we try and we figure out we can't. And then we experience the grace of God. And then all of a sudden, as the Spirit of God lives in us, we want to. And we're so excited. Like, like it goes from we have to to we want to. And then because the Spirit of God lives in us, we're able to. We're able to. See, this, this is the beauty of the gospel. See, we, we are given the Spirit of God. And as the life of Jesus is lived in and through us, there's fruit that's born in our life. So the Galatians, they're trying to deal with their sin nature in their own power. They're trying to deal with those kind of things. They're trying to obey the, the law. They're trying to do those things. And Paul says, listen, you are justified by faith. It's not faith plus doing all this stuff. You are justified by faith. And, and you will continue to grow as you live and walk by faith. Now, the truth is we know about this battle. We face this battle and we will never win this battle on our own. See, the battle's real, right? There's a sinful desire. We, we see the scripture talk about it as our flesh, right? We see this fallen sinful nature in us. And if we're honest, every one of us in this room have those moments where our sinful nature gets the best of us, where, where, we, where we produce things that are not in line with followers of Jesus Christ. And, and in Galatians chapter five, Paul says, listen, it was for freedom. In verse one, he said, it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. And he said, don't go back into that yoke of bondage. Don't go back into all those things because you are now free from the law. But when you're free from the law, what you're going to understand is the way that you live and is the way the Spirit of God produces fruit in you, you're going to fulfill the, really the requirements of what the God was intending all along. You could never, you could never keep the law. It would never work. It could never be there. But in the power of the Spirit, you can live free. If we skip down to verse 13, first thing we're going to see is that we are free to love, right? Here's, here's what it says. Look at verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one 
another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. And so the apostle Paul says we are free in Christ. Not to, now, people, we don't want to take this freedom as a license, as, as, a, as an excuse to feed the flesh. Because he says, listen, this freedom that you have is not freedom to sin and do whatever you want. But freedom to live and do whatever he wants. And through Christ and in Christ, we are free to love and serve one another. And he says, but be careful. Don't, don't bite and devour one another. One commentator put it like this. He said, you know, you ever see like uh, crabs when they're cooking them, they put them down in boiling water and they're alive, really cruel. And so they put them down in there. And so these crabs, though, they're trying to climb out, right? And so there's this picture of these crabs. And as they're trying to climb out, what you'll notice is the other crabs in the pot are just reaching up and they're grabbing them. And, and the reality is that nobody's getting out of there alive. And, and the truth is, though, that when we come together as the body of Christ, that that's not what should be seen in our lives, right? And, and, and sometimes churches can get caught up in legalism, right? This foreign concept of Jesus plus something else, right? We still see those kind of things where people say, you know what? These are my convictions. And, and when all of a sudden I have convictions about things that are not clear in scripture, they may be convictions for my life. But when all of a sudden I decide I'm going to make my convictions, commandments for all of you, and we begin to bite and devour and have all those kind of things, we find ourselves in all kind of messes, right? But the fruit of the spirit we're going to see is different than that. And, and we're going to love one another. We're not going to walk in those places, right? Service and love. These are characteristics of Christ and these are characteristics of his church. Not only are we free to love, but, but as you go through this passage, right? Not only are we free to love, we're free to live. Look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, this word uh, walk, when the Scripture says, but I say walk by the Spirit, it's a, it's a really cool word in the Greek, and it's peripateo, and it's, it's interesting when you look at this word because of the way uh, it tells us so much about this Scripture. It's, a, it's what's called a present tense imperative, and so it's this command, but, but the way that this command works, it's not just simply walking for a minute, but it's this picture, what Paul is saying, keep on. This is what he's saying, keep on continually walking, day by day, moment by moment moment in the power of the spirit. He says, keep on walking, keep on continually walking. And by the way, how do we walk? One step at a time, right? We learn that, right? As we get to it. So we walk one step at a time, moment by moment, under the control of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's how we're to live, right? That's how we're to live in the spirit. Now, this is not a passive walk, but this is a work that God is doing in us, right? In Ezekiel, we saw uh, this incredible promise, right? And, and we saw this beautiful uh, picture of the new covenant in, in, in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 26. Seven, the scripture says, moreover, I will give you a new heart and, and I will and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So in this passage, we see, listen, we've been given the gift of the spirit that enables us to, to walk in Christ. But then there's this truth that's there where it says, hey, there's a battle that's going on. And in this battle, the flesh is warring against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And if you want to see some miserable people, find somebody who's saved that is walking in the flesh, who's attempting to live in their own power. Paul says, listen, you can tell people that are walking in the flesh versus those who are 
walking in the Spirit. And he says, you're going to be able to see it really easy. And he goes on and gives some, some indications of that. Verse 19, he begins to describe the works of the flesh. Look at verse 19. He says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissension, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. And, and by the way, like, like we could break down all these and talk about them. But if you're in Christ, I, I want you to understand the Holy Spirit is convicting you of what those things are. Those things that, that you're living in sin and, and rebellion, those things that you're navigating toward, all those things. And Paul says, I could list these things for days. But instead of doing that, he says, and things like these. Like there's a laundry list of things that are there. But so he doesn't leave anybody out. He says, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you that, and this is really important. I want you to, I want you to lean in as we hear this, because this is, this is a statement that, that is huge. This is huge. He says, those that practice these things, he said, those who practice these things, he says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And when I see things like that, that's a, that's a heavy, that's a heavy passage, right? And we recognize that even as Christians, we can fall into a mess. But if this is the characteristic of our life, right? If this is the pattern of our life, if we're living in continual sin, right? Read the scripture. He said, those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if you're content to walk around and, and continuing sin, the reality is that you need to be born again. Like you need to be saved. And, and because the truth is that you can profess faith without possessing faith, right? We see it in Matthew 7. Jesus said, there's going to be many that will come to me in that day and say, did I not do all these things in your name? Did I not teach Sunday school? And did I not come to church? And did I not, did I not do all these things in your name? And, and then Jesus responds in an interesting way, right? It's possible for us to look good on the outside, right? The, the scripture, Jesus would refer to, to those Pharisees. He said, they're like whitewashed tombs, right? He said, they look good on the outside, but on the inside, there's nothing there. And, and we can be those kind of people, right, that show up and look like something when we're around people, when we're in church and in our Sunday school class and, and all these places. But the reality is that, that when Jesus comes on the inside, right, everything changes. And, and Jesus responded. He said, many will come to me in that day and say, did we not do all these things in your name? And Jesus said, then I will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So we need to examine our lives if we are living in continuing sin. Now, Paul's going to shift right here, and he's giving us these, these heavy things, right, these works of the flesh. But then he says the fruit of the Spirit is this. Look at verse 22. He said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. There's something really interesting in this passage. The word for fruit is karpos in the Greek. And when you look at this word, there's something that I always used to think about when I'd look at the fruit of the Spirit. I kind of thought of it as the fruits uh, with an S, right? The fruits of the Spirit. And then, you know, it's like a little tale song, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, all those things, right? We learn about all those things. And it's like just this really wonderful thing. But what the Scripture says is not the fruits of the Spirit, all these things. And sometimes I'm looking around, I'm saying, well, I got like one of those, right? <laughs> I'm doing good. Like, like I must be... No, 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 no. He said the fruit of the Spirit is, not the fruits of the Spirit are, 
And so what we see is the evidence of the Spirit of God working in our life and bearing fruit is not just one or two of these things, but that the Spirit of God is producing all of these things in our life. You know, it's, it's a whole different perspective when I began to look at that, right? It's a whole group, and this fruit is the result of the Spirit. And as we walk in the Spirit, these are the things that we're going to see in our life. And really what it boils down to is what we see in our life is the character of Christ. See, that's what the fruit of the Spirit is. It, we see the character of Christ in our lives. And I've got an apple here, and when we think about fruit... It doesn't take very long for you to figure out where this came from, right? This comes from what kind of tree? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you guys are awesome. And it is easy. That was a good answer. And so it comes from an apple tree because that's what apple trees do. Now, I've shared this before, but none of us drove by an apple tree this morning and heard it grunting from the side of the road, right? Anybody drive by and be like, mm! like, like, no, right? And, and so a lot of my life as a, as a Christian, as an early Christian, when I first came on staff here, I was still working for Lowe's, and I was trying to navigate a lot of things, and, and you know, I would read these things like the fruit of the Spirit, and I desired so much just to live an authentic Christian life, right? I wanted to walk in a way that honored God and, and you know, praying like, you know, I want these people around to see Jesus in me, but man, some of those people around, y'all ever experience that like? Like, if this was just a solo game, like, it'd be pretty easy. But, like, people make you crazy sometimes. <laughs> and so I, I, I actually put a little sign up at my desk, and I still got a picture of it up there. I put a sign up at my desk, and it said, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And I would try, like, every day, like, okay, I'm going I'm to do better. I'm going to work harder. I'm gonna... And then somebody could just push just the right button. And I might not say anything horrible or anything that was, like, really. But, but I was always comparing myself, like, to the world. You know, like what other people say and what other people do. Then all of a sudden, when you begin to really examine yourself against Christ, you're saying, man, I messed up again. And I was reading, and, and it was this truth that really changed my life um, just in an incredible way. In, in John 15, verse 5, Jesus said some things. He said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And then he said, he who abides in me, and I in him, he said, that, that person, he bears much fruit. And then he said, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Man, as I'm reading that, and as I've been struggling in this walk, you know, I'm like, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you abide in me, you bear much fruit. I always had read that passage. I always read the fruits of the Spirit that said, you know what, Jason, your job is to somehow bear all this fruit. And so I would try, and I would struggle, and I would try, and I would struggle. And as I read that passage, the Spirit of God allowed me to see that, like, my job, like, what I am supposed to do is to abide in Christ. And as that I abide in Christ, and as I pour in the Word of God into my life, and as I pray and seek the Spirit of God, as I abide in Christ... He said, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. And just like this apple 
right? That this apple is produced on an apple tree as the life of that tree is pressed through the branches. It bears fruit. It's not straining. It's not struggling. It's not in all this kind of moment. It is what an apple tree does. And it bears fruit as the life of the tree is pressed through the branches. And as followers of Jesus Christ, as we abide in Christ and we engage in the word of God in prayer and we live in fellowship with him, the life of the vine, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. The life of the vine is pressed through the branches and something beautiful happens. We bear fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, all those things, right? And as we do that, how many of y'all ever saw an apple tree eating its own fruit? But the fruit that it bears is such a blessing for me. Such a blessing for all of us. As we abide in Christ and the Spirit of God works in our life and we, we exhibit the character of Christ in our life. I want you to know something. When you have a dad who is exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit in his house, where the characteristics that he has is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, all those things, right? You want to talk about a house that's changed? This is the evidence of Christ. And our maturity is probably measured by the weakest fruit that's there. Because these are, like I know some kind people that don't know Jesus, right? We can, we can have some of these things in our life. But listen, this is a fruit of the Spirit. All these things are fleshing out in our lives. It's what we do. We abide in Christ and we bear fruit. Now, it's interesting to me that he didn't say the fruit of the Spirit and he didn't list all the different spiritual gifts. I thought that was interesting. I mean, it could have, Paul could have chosen to, to do that. He, he could have chosen to say, you know, all these different activities. The fruit of the Spirit is this. You're taking care of orphans or you're doing. He, he, could, have, he could have chose to indicate a lot of different things. But he said the fruit of the Spirit is this. It's the character of Christ being displayed in your life. So how do we live in the Spirit's power? How do we walk in freedom that Paul has talked about? Let's look at verse 24 and 25. And we're going to give just an illustration that I hope will help us. Uh, Just remember this, but uh, how do we live in the Spirit's power? Verse 24, now those who belong to Christ Jesus, now this is a past tense. It says, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So we have crucified. We have a relationship with Jesus. And I want to remind you that a relationship with Jesus, when we come to faith in Christ, we see repentance and surrender uh, take place, right? We see uh, this Uh, this picture of repentance in this passage. Those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh. This is something that has taken place as we have been convicted of our sin. As we read in Acts 2, they were pierced to the heart as they heard the words of the gospel. And he said, what do we do? And and Peter says this, uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit, he said, repent, right? And repent, it's a word in the Greek, metanoia, and it is this word that simply means this. It's a change of mind that results in a change of direction. And so they, they turn from sin. And, and in those moments, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there is a, a time where we're repenting of our sin, where there's this, this decisive shift, where we are crucifying the flesh and we are following Jesus Christ, right? So the first thing we see is we, we want to see an authentic conversion, we want to see an authentic conversion. We want to examine our lives, right? And we want to, we want to see an authentic conversion of our life. And, and that conversion is characterized by repentance and surrender. We hear a lot of uh, American church terms for all kinds of things. And we, we talk about 
all these different, different pieces of, of ways that we might describe that. Very common in our culture is to say, you know, have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? I want you to understand, when you look at the scriptures, what you see is repentance and surrender. That's what you see. You, you, you see a people, and, and yes, it may be through a prayer that we communicate what's going on in our heart, but we need an authentic conversion where we've been born again into the family of God that has caused and, and that has worked in our lives in a way where we've repented of our sin and we've turned and began to follow Christ. And then because of that conversion, we continue to live in his grace. We reflect on his grace and no longer under the law. There's no longer this, this, this yoke of bondage that's on us, but there is this desire that is given to us that we might walk in newness of life. There's this uh, spirit of God that is guiding us. So we have an authentic conversion. The second thing is we abide in Christ. We are in his word. And it is in the word of God. If we say, how do we walk by the spirit? Well, we do what the spirit desires. We are sensitive to the spirit. We are, but, but the word of God reveals things about what, the, what God desires in our our life. And so we learn what the spirit desires and we turn from our fleshly desires and we follow him. We stop feeding our own flesh. Now I want to invite um, a couple guys to come and, and help me out. Sam, you and Grant come up here and hopefully we'll have an illustration maybe that can uh, help us uh, along the way. But uh, I want to just talk about this, uh, this picture of walking in the spirit. And you guys can Come on over just a little bit. Now, when you see this, just a, a simple rope. And, and so sometimes we think about this, this battle that's going on. The scripture talks about, uh, you know, the, the spirit against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. We think about those kind of, uh, of pictures, right? We think about those kind of, uh, of places. We think about um, just the, the, the pieces that, uh, that fall into that. But I want to give you a, a little bit of a, a picture. And so I want you to keep some tension there. So there's some tension in our life. And, and as a follower of Jesus Christ, even though I've been born again into the family of God, have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, th there's this tension in my life uh, as to whether I'm going to walk in the Spirit. So we're going to let Sam uh, represent the Spirit. Okay. So there's this, this tug, like I, I want to walk in the Spirit. I want to do the things that I want to bear fruit. I want to do all these kind of things. And we're going to let Grant uh, represent the flesh. And so that represents our sinful nature. That represents uh, the desires of our flesh. And, and what we understand is that the, the, the things of this world, right, the sinful nature, it is fueled by the world systems, right? We know that the enemy uh, is trying to put things in front of us all the time, right? We see uh, this tension that we are facing. And I want to give you just a, a little bit of uh, an illustration uh, just from my life personally. And so uh, on Easter, I know it's funny, right? Um, you just get these out and they're funny, all right? But I, I want to give a, just a, a little place of conviction in, in my life and some things that, um, that I've been, been navigating. On, on Easter Sunday, um, I was kind of at my peak uh, fighting weight that I've ever been, which was, was not good, um, kind of struggling in, in some of those areas. And what I, what I realized is while I might say that my desire is to walk in the power of the Spirit of God and that I might... Uh, want to walk in the freedom that's in Christ. What, what the pattern of my life was is in, uh, I would be very busy and a lot of things happening and in moments of stress, I would go home and I'd eat the entire house. Um, when, when, and really, when it comes to these things, and I like to joke about them a lot, you know, but the Spirit of God kind of convicted me. That's, that's what people like me that don't uh, have much discipline in that area of their life, they do. They make jokes about it and we laugh and it's kind of funny. But, but in reality, when I'm turning to 
something like this. And, and basically what would happen is I'd get home and I'd eat a, a bunch of ice cream or I'd eat this. And all of a sudden, temporarily, those desires, right, that I might have, those, that feeling of stress or that kind of relief uh, would be there, right? And, and so you would eat those kind of things. And, and the reality is what that's called in the scriptures, gluttony. Um, now, what we did last week with homecoming, that's called a feast. They're both in there, okay? <laughs> And I'm going I'm to explain to you the difference really quick. This is all free, so it's good. So, if, um, so, so, so we're in a celebratory capacity, and we're, we're eating, and we're enjoying, and we're celebrating. But when I'm stressed out, and I'm turning to things to feed my flesh to satisfy, instead of turning to the Holy Spirit to find my satisfaction and to find my peace and to find those things, it's sinful. And so Sherry and I made some decisions. Like, you know, I want to I show up, and, and like, I want to be able to preach on everything, like, it's real hard for a guy that can't see his toes to talk about discipline. It's just reality. And I want to show up in my family. Like, I want to show up to the calling God's placed on my life to be a dad. I want to show up to be a husband. I want to show up to preach the gospel. I want to recognize that God has said, you know what? Your body is a temple. You've been bought with a price. That the Holy Spirit lives within you. And so all of a sudden, we kind of shifted, and we started kind of doing away with all these things like Reese Cups. I haven't had one since Easter. I had 147 on Easter. Um, I ain't lying. I didn't count them. But, but as I began to stop feeding this kind of thing, I noticed something interesting that happened. Instead of craving all the sweets and craving all that stuff and continuing to feed my flesh with the desires that were there, as I began to replace that with things that were wholesome and things that were healthy, I began to crave lettuce and broccoli and weird stuff. It's been a supernatural work of God in my life. And, and as I began to take in those things, there were some real shifts, right? And I want you to understand spiritually, we've got to be very careful what we're taking in. And, and as we desire to walk in the spirit, there's going to be some significant shifts that have to take place in our life where we continue instead of feeding our flesh with all these kind of things that are are leading us down. And as we take in the things of the world, what happens is is all of a sudden we're being consumed by that. And we find ourselves walking in the flesh. We find ourselves struggling to deal with sin. We find ourselves struggling to deal with addiction. We try to find ourselves in all those kind of things. But but what we see in the scripture is that we see a different picture. The apostle Paul in Romans 12 said that we're not to be conformed to the image of this world, right? But there were to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so as we take the garbage and those things that we've been consuming in our life and we replace that with abiding in the word of God, instead of walking and trying to figure out how somehow in our own strength, we're going to be able to walk in these things. We see a completely different picture, right? Uh, In Colossians three, the scripture says this, you've been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking those things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on the earth below. Says, and then the next verse says, because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We read all of these, these scriptures. We read all of these pieces, right? And we, we understand that as we are led by the Spirit, as we abide in Christ, as we take in the Word of God and it transforms our mind, as we deny our flesh, as we, as we live uh, in the power of the Spirit, as we begin to do those things, we begin to walk in the Spirit, we begin uh, to fulfill those things, we begin to live the Christian life as an overflow of Christ living in us. We abide in Him and we bear much fruit. 
And so here's the thing, man. We go from living in poverty to people that are experiencing the grace of God overflowing in our life. You guys can, can be seated. Thank you for, uh, for being good helpers and being willing to do that. You can have Reese Cups as your uh, prize. Grant hasn't quite embraced my new uh, diet. But I, I want to ask you, you know, we're going to close. And I want to ask you, are, are, just to be honest in these moments, are, are you living in spiritual poverty this morning? And maybe the, the greatest question, like, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Has there been an authentic time in your life where you've been born again into the family of God, where you've repented of your sin and surrendered your life to Christ? Because if, if you haven't, then you're going to live in poverty until that moment. Scripture says that we are dead in our trespasses and sin, right? We need to be born again. But, but Romans 8 says that, that that same spirit of God that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. And, and not only does he point us again into this living hope, right? But that he gives life to our mortal bodies, right? That that spirit does that. So if you're here this morning and, and you have been saved and you are living in poverty with all the riches of, uh, of God's blessings, uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit and our dispense, listen, we, we need to make some decisive shifts this morning. Does our life reflect the works of the flesh or the fruits of the spirit? And so I want to close with just this thought. If, if you're struggling in the midst of the Christian life. Not only do we make sure we've had an authentic conversion, we abide in Christ, we lean into his word, and then we ask for help. Right? Let me show you what Jesus said. Day by day, really, moment by moment, we submit to the control of the Holy Spirit in our life. Everything that we do, we're asking for his help. We are seeking his help. Luke 11, verse 13, and Jesus has been talking about how fathers giving good gifts. Like if your, you know, if your child asks for a for an egg, you're not going to give him a scorpion. He's kind of going through all that. But then he says in verse 13, he said, "If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him?" And you know, there's got to be a place in us that say, "You know what? I desire to decrease. I want to turn from those things in my flesh, those things I've been taking in." Those things that have been keeping me bound up, bound in sin. I'm done. There needs to be some believers that will say, you know what? I'm no longer going to walk in poverty. I'm no longer going to live my life in poverty with all of the riches of heaven at my expense, with the glory of God, the resurrection power of Jesus living in me. There's no way I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yoke up in that poverty. So I'm going to be dependent. I'm going to ask Jesus. You know, it's been my prayer prayer that I've been praying is, God, I desire to see the power of God in my preaching. Lord, I, I desire to see the power of God in, uh, in my preparation time. You know, a, a few, about a year ago, I was preaching a revival uh, down in Georgia, and uh, there's a direct connection, right, in being right before God and dealing with sin and dealing with things that God convicts us of. The, the, the power that we'll experience in our public life will be directly related to the purity that we are experiencing in our private life, right? And there's nothing hidden to God. And we, we need to be a people that are pursuing holiness, that are, that are desiring to come close and clean before God. And I was ready to preach a revival, and, you know, I was, I was reminded of those days where the self-control piece, you know, and there was a guy that I worked with at Lowe's, and I can remember, you know, people can aggravate you. And I remember there was a moment in that where I'd gotten aggravated and I'd said some things I shouldn't say, and I hadn't cussed him or, you know, anything crazy like that. But according to the way I'm supposed to live as a follower of Jesus Christ, man, I had blown it. 
As I was preparing for that revival and I was praying, I was like, God, I desire like, the Spirit of God to work in my life and move. And God said, you know, you got some things you probably ought to deal with, son. I said, Lord, that's been 10 years. So I called this guy and I said, hey, I'd like to meet with you. And I, I wrote a card, and got a little gift card for him and his wife to go out to eat. I said, listen, I just, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I mean, I know that that day I said some things that were hurtful. And I said, I just want to ask you to forgive me. I said, I've asked God to forgive me, but I said, I've never apologized to you. And I said, I'm sorry. I said, I just want you to know that, that it's asked for your forgiveness. There was something beautiful that God was doing in me in those moments as we confess and we repent and we begin to live. You know, I long for the Spirit of God to fall on this place. There are places I read about in the book of Acts as we've been walking through that where the manifest presence of God descends on a place where there's a people, man, who are changed by the Spirit of God. And we need to be a people that will listen to the Holy Spirit. And when we are convicted of things, we need to make things right. We need to, we need to do whatever it takes to, to be right with God. And, and as a result of being right with God, we're going to make ourselves in, in a right relationship with other people. And we need to be a people who ask, God, I desire no longer to walk in poverty. But I desire that your Holy Spirit might work in me in such a way that the life of Christ that's been placed in me would be pressed out through the branches. And that my family would receive the benefits of that fruit. That the people that I come in contact with in Walmart will receive the benefit of that fruit. 